0: Guru Nation, thank you for checking out another episode of Random Usings from the Clinical Trials Guru. If this is your first time here, or maybe not, I appreciate it. Like, subscribe, leave a review. I really appreciate it. I wanted to get my sponsors out of the way. The first one is my DSCS site network. We help sites get studies, help them do their budgets, help them with SOPs, a shoulder to cry on, anything you can think of. We help sites across the country do. The more sites in our network, the easier it is for us to get studies and from sponsors and CROs directly. If you're interested, check out the link in the show notes. A low monthly subscription fee. That's my company. Also, CRA Academy. If you're interested in learning how to become a CRA, check out the CRA Academy. The only program out there with a real internship opportunity through my CRO for all graduates of the Academy. Also, CRC Academy, same thing, but for coordinators with real internship opportunities. And now I wanted to get to my sponsors who help make this show consistently available to you and well-produced. First one is Viva Site Vault, links in the show notes, free electronic investigator site file, free digital signatures free delegation of authorities log all digital go paperless it's completely free if you ever wanted to try going digital at least for the investigator site file check out viva link in the show notes next is versatrial it keeps your study portals organized it's collaborative so all staff at your site can get access and use it we have 12 15 links sometimes per study to different portals this keeps everything in one place it keeps all your passwords so it's just one click and it also has an amazing feasibility tool to help you do feasibility surveys a lot quicker and a lot more efficiently for free next sponsor is Creo this is the only one that's not free but I think it's well worth it it's esource it's ereg it's ctms it's patient recruitment. It's patient payments. And you don't need to try all those things at once. You pay for what you need. But it is amazing. Once you start using it, most likely for the eSource, you're going to want the CTMS. You're going to want the automatic invoicing. So when you click on your e-source, dry ice was used for a lab. It will automatically send the invoice to the sponsor for the dry ice. Saves you time. Countless things like this in Creo. Amazing tool. Check it out. Next sponsor is Innato For experienced sites, if you want to get studies for free, Inato the way to go. I just got my first study recently through Innato. It did take a few studies for me to filter through. But Innato actually does a really good job of making sure that it's a study that you actually want to take. And they even do one-on-one Zoom calls with you and your PI or whomever from the site wants to join to see if a study is the right fit for you. And it's absolutely free. They get nothing out of it. I think the sponsors pay them on the back end. And it's amazing. So check it out. in Nato link underneath in the show notes, free. Finally, my last sponsor, 1N Health. This is a central patient recruitment vendor. They currently do not work with sites. But if you're a sponsor or a CRO, they are the best. I've used all of them. I've been doing this for 17 years plus. They are the best leads, the best interface for coordinators. You can text patients directly from the portal. They literally saved one of my studies recently, both at my site. We were just screen failing patients left and right until we finally used 1N Health. And we got ourselves a respectable randomization number all through one in health. And they also did this entire study wide sponsor was able to end enrollment successfully because of them. I've never used I've never been a fan of central patient recruitment vendors. This is the best one. Check them all out. Links in the show notes. Guru Nation, Ethan Bond is here. This is somebody you got to follow on LinkedIn His LinkedIn is underneath the video and in the show notes. He's the co-founder and CEO of Select IQ. He spent a lot of time, I'm talking like seven years, at Palantir, which used to be a meme stock, but is now a legit company in and of itself. I know a lot of the viewers are interested in that. And his career took a lot of interesting turns within clinical research. Uh, He even had a stint at Facebook, and he's a computer science guy, product tech design, product strategy at Palantir, and now founder, co-founder and CEO of SelectIQ. So, Ethan, thank
1: you for coming on, man. This is a pleasure to have you here.
2: Sure thing, Dan. Yeah,
1: thanks for for having me. Yeah, I've I've consumed all of your material. Everything I could find um, was a big part of how I sort of wound up in this space um post volunteer So yeah, I owe uh, a huge post thanks to volunteer. you. PP. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Br- Brad Hightower and uh Dr. Fox and all the all that all the compadres uh have been huge. So happy to be on this side of it.
0: All the troublemakers in this space. uh here's That's to the troublemaker. What, heard. what did Steve Jobs say? Here's to the Misfits. Uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right. Well welcome to Team Misfits. And um we're gonna get into why you founded your company. But how did you find research?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so um, basically at Palantir, so I come from a software engineering and software design background, um, interned twice at Palantir on very different things, um, and and uh, once at Facebook, decided I didn't like Facebook all that much, I uh, went back to Palantir full-time. Did you meet um, I did not. Facebook was already a gigantic company at that point. Too big for my taste. What out. about CEO Palantir? You meet him? Um, yes. Yeah. And and the CEO Sham uh I, I owe a lot of my career too. Um wow. so yeah. Um yeah, so Palantir uh works uh, a big data company works in a lot, a lot of different sectors. Um my career is mostly on the commercial end of the spectrum. I did a little bit of work with um, with some intelligence agencies and then with uh, oil and gas production. And then after a few years um, into my career there, Sham essentially pulled me aside. I was like, hey, go cure cancer. And I was like, that was as broad go as the mandate can- was.
0: That was literally uh, what he was, said?
1: That was the mandate, yeah. Uh, and so that is how Palantir operates. And so from there, it was just sort of like figure out what sort of dent I could make um, in in the whole system. And I think luckily Palantir has access to a lot of different organizations. Um, and so I, I was able to uh, work with a, a very large cancer center, was able to work with uh, Novartis um, and some other large pharma companies, and then um, with covid uh, NIH, um, obviously, like COVID kind of reversed a lot of or or kind of refocused a lot of the industry um, and was able to move over to the NIH work uh, with Palantir, which was really about building kind of the largest, uh, I think to my knowledge, it's still the largest um, patient database in the United States. Um, and so they basically, got, all the NIH uh, research partners were essentially pooling their, their clinical data to try to understand COVID um which obviously involved a whole lot of sort of like privacy and data governance um uh concerns and so that was kind of my bread and butter was was really developing the data governance scheme that was used to uh to build out that NIH um that NIH uh data set
2: wow
0: i mean there's a lot to unpack there for the lay people that don't know because this is the, the majority of this our research audience clinical research audience sure We'll we'll give something for the Palantir nerds out there as well. But for the research audience, I mean, many of them never heard of Palantir. Can you kind of give like a macro overview of what this company actually does?
1: Totally, yeah. Yeah, so Palantir builds software. It's a software company. It builds um, a few very, very large, gigantic pieces of software that are extremely expensive. And what those pieces of software do is essentially data integration. So you have... As a, as a government or as a large, um, a very, very large uh, uh, enterprise, you have tons of data. It's scattered in a million different systems owned by thousands of different people. And the question is like, how can the enterprise actually leverage all of that data that it has? And what Palantir does is build software that facilitates that. So it connects to all those data sets, ties them up into a nice security architecture um, and, then ex- and then makes that data accessible to the people who need it. Um, and in particular, through the interfaces that they would like to interact with that data through, right? So right. Like, if not everybody is a data scientist, I'm not a data scientist. I'm not going to be writing R and Python um, against a data set. Uh, so so Palantir also provides kind of these uh, different UIs, uh, which was a lot of my job as a product designer there, uh, was developing these UIs that are more purpose-built. Like, how do you, how do you create something that allows, you know, an idiot like me to interact with data and answer the questions that I need to answer with it.
0: More like an idiot like me. But so their clients are typically government or Fortune 500 companies. You said Novartis yeah. was one. Uh, yeah. And so yeah. the COO literally pulled you aside one day and said, hey, let's go
2: cure cancer. Yeah. Yeah. So Palantir had entered into a... Uh, That's ambitious, a,
1: man. <laughs> Yeah. Entered into a joint venture uh, with Merck, uh, the German, German Merck. So that joint venture is called Syntropy. Uh, and so I was on the founding team of Syntropy. Um, and that was essentially kind of setting out. It's like, hey, all these different institutions have all of this different data. Everybody has different pieces of the puzzle of cancer. Um, how can we build the infrastructure to allow us to pool all those pieces so we can start actually figuring it out? Uh, and so this is a combination of, I think, very interesting technical problems in dealing with kind of all of this very complex, high-scale data, um, but also a lot of just like kind of uh, uh, there's legal questions, there's like ethical questions, and there's also just like business model questions of like cancer hospitals, for example, like their data asset is an asset to them. Um, it's very similar to the sort of relationship you see with uh, with like providers uh, referring patients to trial sites. Like, one, they don't want to lose their patient. Um, and two, like they also don't generally want to expose their entire patient database to a trial site. Um, even if they want to collaborate with that trial site, like those are things that they generally are not gonna to want to do. And so the question for Palantir at that scale, and I think also the question for SelectIQ at the trial site scale is basically that, is like how do you how do you kind of account for all of these very legitimate distinct interests, uh, right? Um, and 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 can technology like actually facilitate that that like re- resolution of those different interests
0: so like what as far as Palantir, like with this Merck example if you whatever you're able to discuss, what were like just let's make it like real practical for, so people can understand what were Merck's raw ingredients? they're like, here's our mess, like here's everything we have, make it what's the output like something usable when it comes to oncology research like can you just kind of walk us through what what that actually may, uh, means
1: yeah so i can't go into like a ton of a ton of detail on this um but the but i think like the very zoomed out version of this is is pretty basic which is like pharmaceutical companies have the expertise uh and the capital and the the incentives to produce new therapies What they don't have or what is very, very expensive for them to get is data about patients. Um, And then on the flip side, you have the the way that they do that is clinical trials. And we all know how expensive clinical trials are. Now, on the flip side, you have large clinics or research hospitals that do not produce therapies. They don't have the incentives. They're not going to become a pharma company, but they do have tons of data about about patients and so like that's sort of the question is like how do you bring these things together um and so that that's kind of like the the zoomed out version of that um of that problem which is probably the level of detail that i can uh, that i can get into at this point
0: fair enough i mean that bridge it's essentially a bridge between you know the real world data which is the clinics and the pharma looking to develop Weren't the CROs supposed to do this? Like, doesn't that kind of come into CRO territory, CRO business objective?
2: I, I mean, I
1: would have to imagine that CROs are probably plugged in somewhere along this process. But I think the, I mean, this stuff is happening. Um, and, so, and so my work completely was really outside of the context of clinical trials themselves. Mm. Um, right. So the, um, the work uh, kind of with Centripedia was like kind of much more around trying to do more closer to rwe rwd um type interaction the um the work that we were doing um you know with with other pharma companies was uh also on clinical trial data but it wasn't attached to the clinical trial itself so this was actually secondary analysis which was basically hey I'm a pharma company i have a hundred years of historical data about all the trials that i've run those cost me ludicrous amounts of money to to produce that data. Um, Is there any other additional value that we can get out of it? Can we ask kind of secondary questions uh, of this data and and in particular look for a label expansion opportunity, right? Um, So you can kind of imagine it as like invalidating a hypothesis. Like we already, we have this hypothesis. Do we already have the data that says this hypothesis is not correct? Um, Or or look for like an ex- label expansion opportunity. Do we, do we have data that says a drug, we should be actually maybe doing another trial on a drug for a new indication? Um, and can we kind of cut out some of that initial upfront uh, cost
2: of development? Yeah, and this is where we could get in the weeds and
0: discuss the, <laughs> what makes Palantir unique, but we won't do that because that's probably for another show but in your opinion where is palantir as far as their potential like are they is there another company that can do this first
2: of all like what palantir does i would
1: be surprised i think it's a very it's a very unique organization with a very very unique uh product um it's very flexible and it it comes with, you know, there, there are pros and cons to flexibility and, and adaptability, um, both at the organization level and at the product level. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, the company is everywhere, and it does it does uh, great work in tons and tons of different industries. It turns out that everybody has data. If you are a large enterprise, you have Everyone data, and like, data. and you're, and especially now, you know, it's like with the AI boom, like everybody is looking at the data and saying, "What else can I do with this?" Uh, and you need infrastructure to be able to do that.
0: Well, even bringing it back home to the research sites, right? Um, still, only like 30% of sites actually use eSource. But mm-hmm. that number is going to eventually be 100, probably yeah. in this next century. So in the next century, I hope. Right yeah. now, volunteer <laughs> maybe is working with governments and big corporations. But pretty soon, there's going to be a demand from small businesses and even from yeah. just people. Yeah and it's just so it's like a paradigm shift to like truly understand this company uh because at the end of the day i mean there's proprietary algorithms probably a bunch of ai but aren't those things like commodities like i'm I'm just trying to figure out like what makes palantir so unique is it really just as simple as they're the first ones to put it all together and the first advantage, like first mover advantage, or
1: whatever it's called. So, I think from from my perspective, and this is something that I'm that I am trying to bring, uh, obviously to the to the trial space via Select IQ, is is really meeting people where they are. And so, you, you mentioned like eSource, right? Like, okay, yeah, you can build software for the imaginary world in which everybody is on eSource, or you can meet people where they are, which is like they're doing a lot of their work on paper. And so, how can you accept that reality? And still deliver advantages to those people. Um, the real world, like organizations that uh, you would hope have, uh, you know, have none of the sort of like data problems uh, that exist. Like you'd be very shocked at how how duct taped together the real world is. Uh, is what I what working in oil and gas and wow. going to an oil field and seeing actually how a field is operated or how a refinery is operated um it honestly scared me and that has been the case with every industry that i've worked in and i think accepting that reality and saying like okay yeah you know so so and so like x percent of sites are on paper and how then are you going to deliver value to them like that's the critical question that's the thing i think that palantir is really good at doing culturally uh it's kind of a cultural component um and uh and and yeah i think it's 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 uh it's it's an important thing to bring when you're bringing technology to to a new industry.
0: Yeah, it's one of those companies where not financial advice by the way. I own some shares and I still don't understand like exactly what they do, but I bought yeah. shares when I figured out that they got into life sciences. And this was yeah. before the AI hype. I think 2019 was when I got into it. Um And I watched like a presentation, I even did a video on my channel. Um But yeah, it's so, so interesting. Like, I think it's just the tip of the iceberg of what we can actually see. But you must have been inspired oh. at your time there. I mean, you spent seven, almost seven years there. Yeah, you you must have seen something or been inspired by something to want to bring this to clinical research with your new company. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean I think um
1: yeah, so full disclosure, like we we uh didn't start when we left when we left Palantir, to be honest, we were pretty, pretty burnt out on uh on life sciences and on pharma. Um it's so a it was a brutal, brutal several years uh and it was, um, you know, just nose to the grindstone trying to eke out um some value. And Uh, So, so actually when we left, we, we, my co-founder also came from, came from Palantir. My good friend uh, worked with me for many years in life sciences. And we, um, you know, we actually started building software for other software companies, basically for the, for us essentially like, Hey, uh, being a, a product person at a big software company was really hard. So like, what can we do to make that easier? And we spent a year doing that and and came to the realization that like, you know, software people don't have real problems. Uh and, and actually we should go to an industry that does have real problems and uh that and that hasn't actually been well served by software. And um we kind of created a huge list, a huge uh of, of possible industries that we could look at. One of those obviously was back into back into pharma land, okay. uh back into life sciences. You hated that and <laughs> I I was thrilled. I mean both of us both of us love the love so much of it, right? Like the the mission component of like uh, of whatever it is that you're doing at the end of the day, if you provide value, you're getting better, faster, cheaper treatments to patients. The mission component is obviously incredible, right? Um and then in addition to that, the it's a very complex space, which I think is cognitively very interesting. Um there's I think really great, very smart people. You're interacting with a lot of interesting people. Um, and so we were excited actually, you know, after, after a year of uh, distraction, we were excited to get back into, back into this space. And what we did was essentially, um, you know, zoomed out and looked at the overall space of, of pharma. And we we're like, what is the primary bottleneck on getting drugs to market? It's clinical trials. Okay. Now what is the primary bottleneck on clinical trials? It's, it's a bottleneck at the site level. Like it's, it's a lot of it as patient recruitment. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, it's like a bottleneck at where the value is actually happening. Um, and I would say that this is another kind of Palantir um, cultural thing coming through is like, at the end of the day, like the, the value is created at the lowest levels of the of the system, right? It's like at at the ground, at the ground truth is is where that value is created. Um, and that's where you've got to be moving the levers. Uh, and so that's kind of what we what we uh, started on. And, and I think your content was incredibly helpful for for navigating down to that ground level uh, as quickly as possible.
0: You're really practical. The sites are so interesting. Um, it's where the rubber meets the road. It's where everything happens. It's where all these big pharma, no matter how many consultants they contract and say, give us the next big idea or like, what can we do? I mean, they could pay millions of dollars to figure out, like, a target. If the sites are not on board, that's it. Like, it's not, never going to have a Dollar. chance. So now there's a yeah. lot of startups emerging from bottom up. Like, hey, let's see what the sites actually want, and let's yeah. make that work. Let's figure out – I think it's actually easier. Let's make figure out how that can give value to Big Pharma, like, what their objectives that they want, as opposed to just, like, forcing, forcing down on exactly. what the sites uh, should do. Yeah. Interesting. You said something I, I wanna like I can, I have to ask. Software businesses don't need so don't need help or
1: what did you say? Yeah, yeah. Soft, software companies don't have real problems. Uh it's not to say that they don't have real problems, but um it's all they're customer very
0: acquisition or what is the problem?
1: Well, so we were working at like building software for project management basically um, and and kind of the, the so, so one piece of uh, startup advice you hear very frequently is like solve your own problems but the issue with that is if you have an industry of very talented software builders who are being told to sol- solve their own problems when they create a new product, um, then you have a very very well served market, right, of people (laughs) solving their problems, and they're actually good at solving them with software. Um, And this is, as opposed to, I mean, in in the trial space, you do, I think it's very good advice, actually, if you are not coming from a soft like from a software company. So I know like a lot of the most successful businesses in clinical trials are started by people who run a trial site, right? Uh, And and they're like, hey, I have this really pressing problem, and I'm going to hack my way through the software component of it uh, until I get to a solution. And that's, that's amazing. I mean, that's, that's super, super valuable. Um, one of our uh, sponsors, yeah, just as, CREO.
2: Because, CREO exactly, is a perfect
0: yeah. example. Ray, Rayman Omizu was a site owner. Yep. He thought, Hey, you know what, there's gotta be a better way. This is frustrating. And he slowly made CREO like ESO. Now it's one of the industry's leading e-source, e-reg, CTMS providers. So yeah. Exactly. And people love it. Yeah. People, People love it. Work. Yeah. Cause, it, Cause it's,
1: it's clearly made by somebody who like knows the real, knows the reality of the situation. Right.
0: So when you, when you start set out to start select IQ, uh, when you honed in on pharma and then you honed in on who in particular in this, in life sciences, was it the sites that you honed in on?
1: Yeah, it was, it was the sites. Um, and I think, and I think honestly, a large, a large part of that was because of your content, basically it was um and, and it's, like not also just pharma compared to, you know, we're looking at like semiconductors and construction and like climate tech. Um, But at the end of the day, if we have trying to reach out to people to learn about what their problems are and we can get, uh, you know, we have one meeting per week or something or four meetings per week for the next three months to learn about a problem versus we have Dan's videos and we have hours and hours of content that we can just like tear through. at a certain point, it's just easier to build conviction uh in in the space that is um that is kind of transparent about what's going on and like that has people, you know, people like yourself like sharing what's going on. Uh and that and that was also true even I think it's you know, partially you and and the uh you know, all, all the all your cohort. Um That's but also case, like man. The SOS peeps, I think, also like we went to SCRS, and it, there's a culture I think of transparency as well. It seems to me, as you know, somewhat an outsider, uh, people seem perfectly happy to talk about their problems, and that just makes it easier. Like, there's there's obviously the first order benefit of now you guys can all discuss your problems uh, and and what you're trying and what's working and what's not. The second order benefit is uh, you know people like me can come in now and like I want to solve your problems and I can. I can understand what those are. Right. So like, hopefully you wind up with, with better tools. Um, Yeah. So that's, so I think that's kind of how we wound up in the site space was like partially just as very, very easy to easy to navigate.
2: Interesting.
0: And I think we're in the golden era of site centric tools. Uh, It's just beginning. Would you consider your company a site centric or is it primarily site, site focused?
2: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so we're, we're, we're calling Select IQ basically a um, a provider activation platform. And essentially what that's trying to kind of key into is our understanding is the relationship between a site and their providers, whether those are closely affiliated. So your PIs and sub-Is or they're more loosely affiliated, like external, you know, folks from med school, people down the road. Um, that relationship is really, really, really important to a site's, growth to enter a site's survival into their patient flow. Um, and there's a lot of complexity and a lot of friction in those relationships. Um, a lot of like manual work and, uh, you know, there's like payment complexity, there's like legal complexity, there's data transfer complexity. And I think the biggest thing is just, there's like cognitive load complexity. Like it's very hard to, what we, what we've heard is it's very hard for a site to kind of just keep their trials top of mind for a provider. Providers are super, super busy, right? They're they're absolutely underwater 100% of the time. And then you're trying to kind of layer on this like, hey, well, if you see a patient who matches these really, really specific, crazy criteria, uh, send them our way. And that's a hard thing to do in clinic. Uh, and so all those sorts of things are, are kind of things that we want to chip away at. Um, so I think it's, it is site focused, but it's really about the interface between sites and providers uh more than anything
0: and how does it
1: how does that work yeah yeah so so the the, the specific sub problem we're focusing on is more of that like patient eligibility component, and essentially the way this works is like Dan you would as as Yuma would kind of publish the trial that you are uh that you're recruiting for and your referring providers can install our app on their EHR. And essentially we will rank the patients who they're seeing um, based on their likely eligibility for that trial. Um, And there's kind of a future looking version of this, which I I would say is kind of this on the the front of like reducing cognitive load for the clinician is like we'll produce a daily printout for your clinician and say, hey, you're seeing Ethan at 2 p.m. Ethan might be a good match for this particular trial if you'd like to bring it up with him. Like here's a sheet of paper uh, of like what is going on at this trial and like how they can, how Ethan can can enroll uh, if he if he wants to do that. Um, and then for kind of harder to fill trials, there's also the retrospective version, which is just like go look through all of the EHR records and just like find me anybody who seems like they should match, regardless of whether they're planning to come in in the, in the near future or not.
0: I mean, it sounds amazing. It's actually sounds like something every site needs. Um, I'm glad to hear that.
1: I, I, I mean, I agree. <laughs> the
0: The issue is like cost. Is it affordable? Totally. Yeah. yeah. Another issue is because I'm already thinking as you're explaining it. I was talking to my PI about getting something like this. His main concern is like. I, like we cannot afford to have it screw up REMRs, like even for an hour. We can't have this thing down, slowing it down. Totally, totally. Yeah, that's even more important than the cost, honestly. For, yeah. For these guys, so what? Totally. Surely, yeah. surely you're aware of this.
1: <laughs> no, totally. I mean, I, I, I mean, I think this uh, similar with like Palantir. It's like we were we were building like operational mission critical software. Uh, when, when Palantir software broke, like oil wells would shut off or like planes can't fly, right? Like they can't schedule the, the aircraft. Um, and so, so that is very much, I think, uh, very, very top of mind. Like we, like if you disrupt the business operations, like you're toast. Uh, and so that, that's very top of mind. Um, of business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Well, this is the reality of software though, right? It's like and more, more and more so you can't be building software and saying, Hey, pay me a ton of money and make your business dependent on me. But if it breaks, don't call me. Right. <laughs> like, uh, and so, so yeah, that, that's very top of mind. Um, you know, the price component, we're, we're still trying to figure out, I think, how we're thinking about, about price um, in, in a specific, but I think in the general, like, you know, SCRS is, co- and, and your content as well, it's a constant refrain like the cash flow issues at the site level are significant right and and that's hard in the software business because software entails such an enormous upfront cost to develop um that it's a little tricky to be like uh charging very very little or charging pennies or charging nothing um but i think fortunately right at the end of the day the sponsors like they benefit like anything that we do to speed up recruitment Anything that we do to enhance that relationship between the site and the provider ultimately benefits the sponsor. And I know, having worked on the pharma side, they have no problem paying for things that, uh, that they think will work. Zero uh, problem. <laughs> zero problem. Yeah. They will, they will pay for things that have a believable chance at working. That
0: it does. The problem with pharma, and not just big pharma, all of the sponsors, is they've heard it all before. They've yeah. heard how this is going to change. Our study, and they're so jaded. You know, I mean, they hear this from every recruitment vendor. You're not a recruitment vendor. You're more of a like a EHR mining in a way, like a mining company. But like they hear this from recruitment vendors too. Oh well, fifteen thousand bucks for a three month contract for referrals. Well, okay, we'll pay. But how do we know those patients are actually going to actually come screen? And yeah. even more so, randomized. <laughs> so, yeah, they're, they've heard it all. They're jaded. They kind of want to see it work before they pay for it. That's the that. Totally. And then yeah. sites are like left in between. Like, do we risk it and just like show them that it's going to work? Or yeah. right. like, how do we do it? Like, somebody has to take the initial risk. That's the problem. Totally. No one totally. wants and to I think, take and I think, that initial risk.
1: Absolutely. And I think this This guy said my kind of initial LinkedIn comment where I was like, hey, like the, the, the resolution of this issue of like site not having a ton of money, sponsor having a ton of money, but they're jaded. The resolution of this issue can't be we're just going to build things that aren't useful for the site, right? Like you have to build the thing that's useful for the site regardless. Right. Um, but you might need to be a little clever on the business model, right? Like how do you how do you wiggle this out in a way that, you know? That we're taking on the risk of it not working, um, and this I think again is like actually a very big uh, Palantir thing. Is like Palantir was doing huge free pilots, like that cost tons and tons of money for Palantir for a long, long time, and it was basically like, hey, when we get to the end result, like you're, the the results going to speak for itself, and then you're going to pay us. Um, and that uh, I think we're taking that approach. Like we're we're going to build something that helps you guys, and if if, if it doesn't help, if it doesn't help you guys, if it doesn't help the sponsor. Then like, why should we get paid?
0: That's the chat that's the B2B like you know B2B companies they don't do advertising but that's their if they were to have advertising budget that's where it's going to is like use our stuff for free <laughs> right and and if it works that's our ad right there yeah yeah right? yeah
1: Yeah. So I think that's a tricky, it's a tricky dynamic. And I think the the pharma companies being burned is a really great, great point. Like they, they are burned over and over and over again by, by service providers, uh, by, by software companies. Um, And, and I think it makes it a really gnarly situation. Like they, you know, they need to be kind of, uh, uh, you know, maybe not to get into too much detail, but there's, there's a, a big gap between the people at a pharma company who have large discretionary budget to spend on kind of experimental out their ideas uh and then there's a huge gap of support and then you have people who are like no no no! this needs to be like demonstrated financial upside for the company or we're not touching it at all and so it's hard for a startup because you're kind of pitching this like big aspirational thing but then the big aspirational thing is often not the thing that's actually going to move the needle for the business Uh, and so you kind of have to navigate this like this the shaky situation of Sell the big thing, but deliver the the real uh oftentimes very boring incremental improvement in productivity,
0: yeah, and the bigger the pharma is, I mean, whether people like to admit it or not, this is the industry with the most regulatory capture by far that's created an yeah. environment, especially at the big pharma and at the regulatory levels of revolving door. you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours doesn't matter if the product's good i'll get it through because we'll accept mediocre so i'll take a mediocre product over a great one if the mediocre one's buttering me up somehow right and so i think that trickles down into the software and the tech vendors unfortunately and it's a game that we all unofficially have to play uh, to some extent, which really sucks.
1: <laughs> well and, and and I think the regulatory environment also just provides a really easy cop out not to do anything innovative and not to do anything clever or unique, right? Because there's a legitimate fear. Like the regulations exist for a reason for the most part, right? And there's and they are <laughs> the enforcement is real. So the fear is legitimate. Um but I mean what I what I experience a lot of times is like um you know, like HIPAA, for example, it's like people will just kind of say HIPAA is like scary and therefore we can't try anything new. And it's like, well, you can read HIPAA and you can like understand what you're able to do and what you're not able to do. And usually it's you're actually able to do a lot more than what people think. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, that the legal requirements should be the ceiling of your care about these issues. They need to be the floor, right? Right. Um, everybody needs to walk away feeling good about what's going on, including the patients, of course. Um, but there's usually a lot more room for creativity than people would yeah. think, uh, given the regulatory environment.
0: Totally agree. It's not a green light to be cavalier about important things, but it's also not an automatic red light just because you feel like putting it up when you want to. The Sunshine exactly. Act, Sunshine Act's perfect example, has nothing to do with research payments. Nothing. For years, they're still trying to use this in negotiating tactic, but they, they could figure out if the person on the other end knows or not, but it has nothing to do with research payments Uh, but they've been using it that was an automatic red light automatic stop sign for so many sites it's finally starting to kind of lose power (laughs) but it's like a decade a decade
1: later
2: totally yeah these things
1: yeah they they last a long time once they get kind of into people's into
2: people's Mm -hmm. head Mm -hmm. so do you guys have
0: are you like straight to market yet for sites like or are you Trying on the sponsors first.
1: Uh no, we're we're going straight to straight to sites. Um yeah, so we have like a we have a wait list on our on our website. Um Uh, feel free to sign up and we'll we'll be kind of churning through it. We're I mean, like I said, like we're we're focused on delivering actual value. So we want to be doing that kind of step by step by step with with people who we bring on. Um but yeah, we're going straight to sites. And I think uh you know, we're doing it with them with an eye towards the fact that of of sites financial situation, um not being cavalier about that. And uh Broke and I think sites, we, Ethan. Yeah, basically. Eighty yeah, yeah,
0: percent yeah. of sites <laughs> this is crazy. Eighty percent of sites don't have three months of cash flow operating expenses in their
1: bank accounts. It's nuts. Absolutely nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I think if you want to if you want to build software in this space, like you can't be uh ignorant of that uh or arrogant of it, right? Um yeah, and I think at the end of the day we're confident if we can if we can build something to speed stuff up, then
2: uh then we'll we'll figure out a way to get paid for it.
0: Yeah, and the cool thing about tech is it's a deflationary force. So once it's proven, I think this is why it is important to be first to market or one of the first because that's where the margins are, because ultimately competition increases, everything goes down, and eventually yeah. it just becomes like standard, like, oh well we get patience like falling out of the sky in our e-source because yeah yeah, that's just how it is like i'm pretty sure in like two or three decades you'll have patient leads like as soon as you open your your e-source like oh screen this person yeah. maybe they're already scheduled for yeah I, I hope so yeah yeah but today yeah, it's, I mean, that's, like, that's, it's so hard to do that like just to get that done you know i think ultimately the deflationary aspects of these successful things become commoditized but we're definitely far from that so you you're in the early, uh, yeah, yeah, early yeah. phase of this.
1: Yeah, good. Good technology is a time machine, right? It like takes a thing that took ten hours and it makes it thirty seconds, and you have, you like just like magic, you have produced new time,
0: <laughs> or it makes it like just passively happen. Like you don't even have yeah, to, yeah, right,
1: anything,
2: right, right,
0: right. Yeah, there's so much. I mean, we'll have to do like part twos and threes because just to get into the EHR part of this story and i'm dealing with that right now with three of my pis um all three have different EHR systems they're all in different locations one wants to call the patients himself but he's getting right. the leads for us the other says do whatever you want just don't slow down our thing and hopefully it doesn't cost too much and the other yeah. one's down for basically whatever but i know if i'm yeah. dealing with this other sites are as well like yeah that's yeah and we are looking for solutions but
1: great there's yeah, a lot of uh, we'd love to help you out i mean <laughs> even 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 not like as a commercial relationship my co-founder has been uh digging into the ehr uh craziness right now and um we're happy to just like kind of offer offer some thoughts uh if, if we can if we can help help move that forward sure and thank you for
0: coming on and sharing a little bit about your career i think it's like really cool how you got in and Especially from Palantir, I think that even though it's not really a household name, I think it eventually will be, and certainly for the B two B people, that definitely carries some weight around, and yeah, give we'll so, some yeah. Uh, yeah. some little Palantir nuggets for the community for the meme stock people out there. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. we got to do part two maybe on just mining the databases because sure. that's like an hour long podcast right there.
1: It's tricky business, yeah, I mean that, that was our uh, i i I spent way too much time in front of a whiteboard trying to figure out how to apply inclusion and exclusion criteria to uh, clinical data sets, um, and so now I get to, now I get to use that use that power for good uh, at the site level
0: <laughs> even just like I mean, I'm not even that deep into it, just trying to find the diagnosis with like the the main criteria being met. Not even like all of it, just the main criteria, is this person worth bothering my provider about or should I even right. call this patient? Like, and one of my sites, we have a green light to call the patients whenever we want, but sometimes it doesn't make sense because we don't know all the IE criteria. Like we just want right. the diagnosis basically
2: right right and
0: we'll deal with it Well, so, so this this
1: this falls into that category of uh when you go to a new industry and and you realize like wow this is really duct taped together uh <laughs> you know the fact that this is not trivial that, that this is not completely solved is crazy right and like hopefully we'll we'll get it solved
0: not even close to being solved man so yeah thank you Ethan it was nice to meet you and We'll, we'll definitely then. do a part two. Everybody go connect with Ethan. Are you coming SOS? I'll put you on the spot, but I
1: I I am. That is the uh Ooh. that's the that's the plan so far. I've not bought my ticket yet, but I guess I have to now. So
0: <laughs> awesome, man. Well, yeah. we'll definitely do a part two and I'll meet you in person for SOS. Everybody go awesome. connect with Ethan. Like,
2: subscribe, comment, share, and stay tuned for more, guys. Bye bye. Thanks a bunch, Dan. See ya.